Romans 8, 5 through 9. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death. But the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ... He does not belong to him. Lord, it's a bracing, weighty, sobering thing to hear. If you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Jesus. So I pray that every person in this room now would care about this that they have the Spirit of Christ, that they have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in them manifestly, enabling them to have the mind of the Spirit and walk by the Spirit. So come and help me as I attempt to tackle a part of this text and to fold it open for us. Save sinners and strengthen saints and humble the proud and lift up the downcast and discouraged and oppressed. And may the Holy Spirit have free course to run and do his mighty life-changing work. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We need to be really clear about something as we begin this uh, message this morning, and that is that Christian living is essentially supernatural living. I mean, it involves powers that are above nature. And I don't have in mind vague and general things like ESP or channeling or crystals or sorcery or witchcraft or out-of-body experiences or reincarnation. Those are all an abomination to God, the Bible teaches us, because they belittle the all-sufficiency of God in Jesus Christ and His Word to make Himself known to us and give us the guidance we need. Rather, what I mean is, very specifically, very concretely, the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in our lives by faith, rooted in the historical work of Christ's death, resurrection, in a place and a time. We're not talking about vague, supernatural experiences. We're talking about a man, a God-man, Jesus Christ, in history, dying for sins, rising again, reigning at the Father's right hand, pouring out a Holy Spirit, His Spirit, God's Spirit, dwelling inside of us, shaping our minds according to His Word in a book, 66 books long. These are concrete, specific, definable, discussable issues. 
And all other ways of communing with God are an abomination to God. Christian living is essentially supernatural. Make no mistake about it, it's not a Dale Carnegie type how to win friends and influence people. It is not a moral rearmament campaign. That movement, for example, was begun in the 20s in England and has found different expressions. One of the recent ones goes like this. You can read the literature. MRA, moral rearmament, is not a sect. It's a movement where each one of us is rooted in our own religious tradition. These ideas enable those of different faiths to work together without any of us compromising our beliefs because the concepts of divine guidance and moral standards expressed in varying terms are common to all the world's major religions. That is emphatically not true. The concepts of divine guidance that flow from Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit and the Word are not shared by any other religion. Otherwise, he would have died in vain. And I quote this to throw in stark relief that living the Christian life is not that sort of thing. It's not getting your act together. It's not cleaning up your habits. It's not part of that. It is a supernatural encounter with the living God through Jesus Christ by his word, by which all our sins are forgiven for his sake in history. And we are then inhabited by the Holy Spirit who draws us into his word, shapes our minds, and causes us to walk according to the Spirit. We have to get a whole new mindset about what Christianity is and what it means to be a Christian if we come from that mindset. And mindset is exactly the right word in this text. And who a Christian is is exactly the right issue in this text. So let's start there at the end. Verse 9. Let's begin by defining who a Christian is. Then let's look at an overview of the argument. Then if there's time, we'll talk about a little more about what it means to fulfill the law. But we'll see and probably save more till next week. Verse 9, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, and notice that spirit of God and spirit of Christ are there interchangeable. If the spirit of God dwells in you, you're not in the flesh, you're in the spirit. But if the spirit of Christ does not dwell in you, you don't belong to him. So here's one of the clearest statements in all the Bible as what a Christian is. A Christian is a person who has the Spirit of Christ. Indwelt by the Spirit, not of a vague Christ, not a Spirit of love called Christ, but the person of Jesus in the Spirit, poured out by the risen Christ who lived once, died for us, rose again, is at the Father's right hand, will come again visibly in history. He pours out His Spirit now. And we receive Him. 
And when He comes, He comes by His Spirit and takes up residence within us. This is a person with a definable personality, and you can read about it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is not a vague thing. This is a concrete reality, an encounter with the living Christ as we know Him in history. If you have Him, it says, you are not in the flesh. That means you're not in the sphere, the power, the control of the merely natural. That's all that flesh means is what is common to humanity is flesh. What is uncommon, namely spiritual life, coming from God, the Spirit, that's supernatural. And if you have the Spirit, you are in the Spirit, in His sway, in His control, in His realm. Let's get an overview of the argument in this text. I call it an argument. I hope that doesn't throw you. An argument simply means a sequence of thought with some logical connections. It's not a tiff between a husband and a wife. Okay? Argument means a flow of thought that has logical connections. That's where an argument is. There are five steps in this argument, at least. I'll boil it down to five anyway. Let's just take them, summarize them one at a time. Number one, we'll start at verse four. Step one, this is where he's heading. So we're, we're moving from the conclusion to the arguments, to the grounds. We can go the other way. We may have time to go the other way. We'll see. But let's go down the way he goes. The aim of everything is that the just requirement of the law would be fulfilled in us. Okay, so that's the aim. He wants us to fulfill the law. Now, Chapter 13, verse 8 says, love does no wrong, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. So let's just call this love. The aim of his charge is love. He wants to fulfill the law by bringing about loving people. Step two of the argument is at the end of verse 4. This happens by a certain kind of walk. So mark the word walk. I'll give you a key word for each of these steps. Walk. So law, walk. So that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. So there is a walk that fulfills the law. Step three in the argument is in verse five. This walk accords with the Spirit because... It's born of a certain mindset. So now you can think mind, law, walk, mind, or mindset. What mindset? The mindset of the spirit, not the mindset of the flesh. For those who are or walk according to the flesh set their minds or have a mindset to love the things of the flesh. But those who are or walk according to the Spirit, set their minds or have a mindset to cherish the things of the Spirit. So, his aim is to fulfill the law through love. There is a walk that does that. And there is a mindset of the Spirit that enables that walk, that fulfills that law. You got the first three steps in the argument now? A mindset, a walk, and the fulfillment of the law. Here's step four, going deeper. 
The reason that this mindset produces a walk that fulfills the law is that the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. Now, the mindset of the flesh, which will not fulfill the law, is death. But the key thing here is that the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. Remember verse 2? Remember verse 2? The law of the spirit of life has set me free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The reason that the mindset of the spirit has this power to produce a walk that fulfills the law is that this mindset is life. It is the fruit and the shape of the life of the spirit taking root in our lives. When the Spirit moves on your life and He begins to write the law on your heart, New Covenant-like, the fruit and the shape of His presence is a mindset. This is a very hard word to translate. This this phroneo Greek word group is not an easy word group to translate. Attitude, disposition, thought, Feeling, it's kind of the whole, I don't know what the best word is. I don't think mindset quite gets it. That's a little bit too heady. Heart set is not an English word. So getting this orientation in which we cherish the things of the Spirit, that's what it's about. It's about our, our thinking and our cherishing capacities. And are they oriented on the natural or on the supernatural? On the spirit or the flesh. And the spirit's life expresses itself by giving us a mindset so that this mindset is his life in us. And we're not dealing with laws here primarily. We're dealing with power. Step five. So the, the key word there was, was uh, life. We are aiming at fulfilling the law. We have a certain walk to get there. We have a certain mindset. And that mindset is the fruit and the shape of the life of the Spirit. Life. Now, last step in the argument. Verses 7 and 8. These verses are meant to show us our desperate need for this life, this mindset, this walk. Because we'll never fulfill the law. Why? We hate the law. Let's read these verses. Verse 7. Because the mindset on the flesh, or the mindset that loves the things of the merely natural, is hostile to God. It does not subject itself to the law. See the connection between verse 7 here and verse 4? We're moving from a a, a disposition and a mindset that will not and cannot submit to the law to one where we, verse 4, fulfill the law. What happens? What happens in a human life when you get somebody who's just dead set against being told what to do by anybody, especially God, and later... They love to comply with the way of God. What happens?
That's, that's what this text is about. And it's all supernatural. I, I stopped in the middle. Let's read 7 and 8 again. You need to know 7 and 8. Not because it's good news. It's bad news. Because that's who you were. You may not even know that's who you were. That's one of the great things about the Spirit. He can save people and they don't even understand how they got saved. They know little pieces, just little pieces of how they got saved. They knew Jesus died and they embraced him because they knew that was their only hope to have their sins forgiven and to be right with God. And they wanted to be right with God. And God looked a little bit good to them, but the world still looked really good to them. And they had no idea how bad off they were, like these verses described. So let's make sure we now know how bad off we were. Or maybe you still are and don't need to be. Verse 7. Because the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God. So this is our natural condition. For it does not subject itself to the law of God. For it is not even able to do so. Do you feel the force of that? It's not able. We were slaves. This is what chapter 6 said. Now it's being said more powerfully. We were slaves of sin. We couldn't submit to the law. Verse 8. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This is a cannot here. That is, we are so corrupt and we love our self-exaltation and self-determination and our earthly pleasures so much, we can't love God the way we ought. It's not that we're physically constrained by some chains upon our body It's a moral can't, not a physical can't. And we're therefore guilty for this moral can't. My can'tness, my inability to be what I ought to be, is something I'm responsible for. I'm so wicked, I'm so corrupt, I love sin so much, I cannot love the law of God. And verse 4 says, Christ came and died. In order that I might fulfill the law. (laughs) So here I am in verse 7 and 8 on the war path against the law. And in verse 4, I'm a compliant, humble, childlike, obedient, happy saint. What happens? Well, let's just go backwards through the argument now. We've seen the words. Now... Step five, we're in chains. We hate the law. Step four, we need life. We need a, a, a mindset. And so the Spirit moves on us, takes away that rebellion, writes the law upon our hearts, and grants us, step three, a mindset of the Spirit, a mindset to love and delight in the things of the Spirit and the things of God. We start loving the Bible. We start loving worship. We start loving the people of God. We start loving sacrifice for people. We start loving missions. We start loving the whole world in a new light because it all radiates the glory of God. Everything changes when we have the mind, the phronema, to plumatus, the mindset of the Spirit, which yields, step two, a walk, which yields fulfillment of the law. Now, I have a third point, and I don't think I'm going to take the time to give it to you. 
we will continue. We'll be at least one more week, maybe two, on this text. So here's where I'm going to go next week. So be thinking about this. Now, here's the, I'll just pose the question for you. Can my imperfect love really qualify to fulfill the law? I am saying that it does in some sense, but I want to address that question head on. Since when does the law say a pretty good effort will suffice? But let me close like this. This is not in midstream. We're at a good stopping point. Do you love the work of the Spirit in your life? Do you love the fact that this is not all up to you? That the Spirit is precious beyond measure? And you are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit. If the Spirit of God really dwells in you, he who does not have the Spirit does not belong to him. But if you have the Spirit, you belong to him. You're in the Spirit. You've triumphed over that rebellion. And it's all imperfect. Believe me, we are imperfect. But, oh, he's there, quickening again and again and bringing us back. So I simply commend you, love the work of the Spirit and receive it by faith. It's all by faith this morning. Let's pray. Father, please now, bless the children in their hour of Sunday school in these next couple hours. Bless the teenagers. Bless singles and married. Have mercy upon us, O God, that we might know what it is to have the mindset of the Spirit, not the flesh. And so walk by the Spirit and so fulfill the requirement of the law, which is love. Imperfect now, perfect later. And all the people said... Amen. You're dismissed.